Sunday Sabbath to you all. This is the Daily Walk and the Sunday version of the Daily Walk on your Sabbath day. Could be morning, could be afternoon for you. And today, you know, I've been sitting in just the the presence of the Holy Spirit for a while and just reminiscing how great is our God, you know, because this section of the passion is just so so good you know we read it in matthew just last week and we're reading it again in mark and we're going to close out mark today but i really encourage if you get to hear this before you go to church man go in and just worship with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and it's so good. It's so good. Just to know that Jesus loves us so much. And he conquered the grave. And it's so good. So today we're in Mark 14 through 16, the last three chapters of Mark. So as we alluded to yesterday, the last six chapters are all about the last eight days of Jesus. So here we are getting to the last basically three and a half days of Jesus. Because this is going to be Thursday evening, because on Monday, Thursday, is when Jesus has the Last Supper with his people. But before that takes place, you know, he is uh, having, he's at a person's house, and it's a Pharisee that is coming to know him and wanting to be in a relationship with him and this lady comes crashing in and she's got her expensive jar of perfume it's the essence of nard and she breaks it and pours it over his head and this is where they get you know kind of the the word is indignant they're upset with her because they're like, oh, what a waste of money that could have been given to the poor. And really, that's Hidden Agenda. I'm going to talk about Hidden Agenda tomorrow, or not tomorrow, but <laughs> uh, today when we get to church. And so what we got to understand is Jesus sees our intent in everything we do. And her intent was, she was excited, and I'm not going to give away who this person is because we'll find out later in, in another gospel. But Jesus sees what our intent is, and he's, he sticks up for her. He comes to her rescue. Leave her alone. You'll always have the poor with you, but you won't, won't always have me with you. Now, what he says there, a lot of people kind of get confused with that. What he's saying there is you won't always have me in the physical with you. You won't always have me here to look at, to feel, to be alongside you in the physical. You're going to have to learn 
to walk by faith. And this woman has already accepted me by faith, and she's preparing me for my death. We get that in the next book in Luke, and it'll close that way, where to really know Jesus is to know he is with us, even if we can't see him, which I'll kind of talk about later today in my worship service. So after Jesus says that, Judas gets up and leaves to go arrange the betrayal. All right, so he's he's gone. Think about that. But then Jesus says to his guys, hey, I need you to go in the city. And, and Mark only says two of the disciples. And he says he sent two of them into Jerusalem. They're not named in Mark, okay? And so he tells them exactly how to find the place where they're going to have the Passover meal. And so then he sent the two disciples, and they find it just as he said. And they go and prepare the meal, and Jesus is there now with all the disciples. So here's the thing. Judas has already gone to prepare the betrayal, and now he's back, and he knows where they're having this meal. So somewhere he got the word that the meal is here, and Jesus is including him. Jesus knows he's the betrayer. How do we know this? Because as he's preparing the meal and getting it ready for his guys, he says, one of you eating here with me will betray me. And then they're all like, is it me, is it me, is it me? And what I like about Mark is Mark leaves it really vague. Mark says, it's one of you 12 who is eating from this bowl with me. Well, technically, they're all eating from the bowl with him, right? But Jesus doesn't want to call out the one because he knows there'll be an uproar and everybody will start complaining and everybody will start, you know, in the flesh. These guys still are in the flesh, right? Jesus already told them. Oh, wait, that's in John. We haven't got to John. Jesus knows that they're in the flesh so that if he were to tell them straight up who it is, there could be an uprising, and he doesn't want the uprising, so he just lets it be vague. I like this because even in, when he knows who it is, he protects the innocence because Remember when he's on the cross, Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I think this is a good illustration of he is showing forgiveness to Judas, even though he knows he's going to betray him and he's not calling him out in front of everybody. So then all 12 of them and Jesus go through the whole Last Supper routine. You know, this he hands the bread out and he says, this is my body. Take this. It's going to be broken for you. Take this and eat it and remember to me. And then he pours the, the wine around. And he says, hey, this is my blood. It's going to be spilled for you and uh, for the sacrifice of many. And it's going to be the, for the get forgiveness of sins. And drink this in remembrance of me. And I'm not going to do this again until the kingdom of God comes. Okay, so he does this with all of them, even Judas. 
this says that, look, man, I know what you're doing. I know what you're about. But I'm doing this for you, too. This speaks to us. You know, as I alluded to earlier, God knows. And even in our hidden agendas, he knows. But the fact is, he still looks out for us to some degree, and he still wants us to know that this forgiveness is extended to him, them too, us too. In our imperfections, he wants us to come into relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but that blesses me. Because I know how much I messed up time and time again. And I know that that is huge. And yeah, I'm getting blessed right now. Because I know I couldn't do it without him. And so, you know, he tells them... <laughs> After they get done, they sing a song, which I love. All the Gospels say how they all sing a song after that. And, you know, that's one thing I think when we do communion at church, I think really we got to implement that. I really think if we're really going to do it the way God does it, we really need to implement. And then they sang a hymn. We, we just go on. Okay, we did it. Which to me says, we did the ritual, now let's move on. And if we're really going to do it sacredly, I think we need to be as sacred as we can. And there's places, you know, that do, that want to do it every day, every day, every day. And, you know, for dinner, supper, and, and, and everything. And it's like, let's do it the way Jesus did it then. Because remember, Mark's really emphasizing what is Jesus doing. So after they sing the song... Jesus tells them straight up, hey, all of you guys are going to ditch me because God will strike the shepherd and the sheep are all going to scatter. But after I'm raised, here's the thing. I know you're going to ditch me, but after I am raised from the dead, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee and I'll meet you there. That's all he says. That's all Mark records. So what that says is, look, I know you're going to do this, but I get it. In your circumstances and in your situations, you're going to you're going to freak out, you're not going to understand. So you're going to resort back to the old ways, but here's what I know. I love you and I understand, so I'm going to forgive you. So I'm going to go ahead of you and I'm going to meet you and I want you to come meet me there. Because I'm going to be waiting for you. Here's what that tells me. When we mess up, Jesus is already waiting for us if we'll come back to him and meet him there and say, yep, I'm ready to be right with you. See, that was my life. I messed up for all these years. <laughs> and Jesus was waiting there for me. And how do I know this? Because I remember yelling at him and blaming him and saying, why you do this to me? And he's like, when have you included me? in any of your decisions. Like, I've always been there, but you never asked me to help you. And see, like I said earlier when we are in the Old Testament prophecies, everyone wants to blame God, but God never left us. We push God out of our life. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're going to push me out of your life for a minute, but I'm going to go ahead of you, and I'm going to be waiting for you because I'm not going to push you out. I'm going to be there for you.
and I'm going to be waiting for you. Woo-wee. And, of course, Peter said, this is where Peter says, oh, no, 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 not me. Remember, he's, he's, the, he's the one that God or Jesus said back in Matthew that your name's going to be Peter, and upon you I'm going to, you're going to be a rock, and upon you I'm going to build my church, and none of the forces of hell will be able to destroy you, remember? And so Peter, he's kind of prideful in that, and he says, oh, no, I'm not going to deny you. And Mark records this differently than Matthew, or, and he's the only one that records it this way because Jesus says to him, as Mark records it, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. See, in Mark, it's the only gospel that records that Jesus said the rooster crows twice. The others just say before the rooster crows, but he denotes twice, and that's significant. That's really significant, and we'll get to that when the time comes, but there's real significance in before it crows twice. So then they go to Gethsemane, and Jesus prays, and he says he takes Peter, James, and John with him and says, hey, watch with me, which really means pray with me. But he comes back and finds them sleeping. Man, how many times are we sleeping? Disciples, right? We talked about that. He goes back and finds them sleeping, and on the third time he says, okay, go ahead and sleep. But, oh, wait, nope, here they come. Get up. Here they come. My betrayer is here. And no sooner than he said that, had all the, the crowd of men armed with swords and clubs came that had been sent by the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and the elders with the traitor Judas. And he had arranged with the kiss to betray Jesus, and he gave Jesus the kiss. And then all those men, this doesn't say soldiers, Mark only says men that were set there, they were going to take them to the Romans. These are men that the church elders set out to go get Jesus. This is like a lynching squad come out to get Jesus. For real. And it reminds me of how many times do we get mad at our pastors and we we set up this lynching squad to, I'm going to call my DS or I'm going to call my my uh, denominational leaders, and we're going to get all these people to back us up on what we think of him. You know, a lot of times what we're feeling about our pastor is because the Holy Spirit is convicting the mess out of us, and we want to crucify the messenger because that's exactly what's happening here. They're mad at the messenger, so they want to crucify him. And so uh, this is all Mark records about the... uh, priest slave getting his ear slashed off is that it happened he doesn't say jesus healed it he doesn't say jesus told them to put their swords away he just it just records that it happened and then jesus asked him am i some revolutionary that you guys have to come after me with with swords and clubs because i was at the temple the whole time you could have got me there and after he said that that's when all the disciples deserted him okay the remaining 11 desert him. All right? So this is when the persecution of Jesus begins. 
And instead, I'm not going to go through it all again. We know it goes before Pilate. We know it goes before Caiaphas. You know, we know there was a lot of false witnesses trying to say things about him, but they couldn't even get that right. They were saying lies, and they were so misconstrued. You know, one of the ones that I think is really funny is we heard him say he would destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. And every time I hear that, it makes me cringe because that is so far-fetched not from what Jesus said that you don't even have to be a Bible expert to know that's a lie. I, I could be in that day and know that that's a lie because that just doesn't even sound copacetic. That just sounds fictitious. No one in their right mind would say stuff like that. And I know a lot of, you know, his own family said he's out of his mind, Mark records. But that's just sounds like someone envious and wants to get back at someone. But here's what I, I record, what I highlighted the most in this and what I really take is every time they ask, you know, the high priests and others standing there with Jesus, they ask him, Aren't you going to say anything? Aren't you going to try to defend yourself with these charges? But here's what I here's how I highlight it because this is what happens. In verse 61 of chapter 14, it says, "But Jesus was silent and made no reply." And I think we have to really understand that because I've said it before I heard it from a great friend long a time ago the truth doesn't have to defend itself and we'll get to that in John because in John we'll figure out how what really happens is the untruth ends up exposing itself and hangs itself so then they ask him, are you this Messiah, son of the blessed one? And here's, here's the only part I highlighted in that, because Jesus quotes something from Scripture, but he just says, I am. And what you have to understand about the I am in this is it's one of the few that Mark records, but when he records it, the I am is capitalized. And I am refers clear back to the beginning of the word in Genesis. And as we're going to see in John, this I am is all congruent with our whole triune God concept that we are one. And so this is huge. And he says, I am. And you'll see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. And, of course, this went over like a lead balloon. So then they start tearing their clothes and pulling on their own selves and screaming blasphemy, blasphemy, pulling on his beard, spitting in his face, and telling him, hey, you know, prophesy, who is who hit you now, and stuff like that, because they just didn't want to believe it. So that persecution continues. But that's the only thing he said, is he answered their question, I am. Think of how great the I am is. How great is our God? Sing with me, how great is our God? And all the world will see how great is our God, because they're about to. Well, then we get into the denial of Peter, and here's where we learn how significant 
the rooster crowing twice is, all right? Because Peter makes his first denial. Weren't you one of those with Jesus? And Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. And just then a rooster crowed, okay? That's significant. Why? Because you would think when he hears the rooster crow, that would be a reminder to him that says, hey, remember what I said, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows twice. And there's the first rooster crow. So now you have a choice, Peter. You can fulfill what I say and just deny me again and again. Or now's your chance to follow me and take up your cross and be one with me. Imagine the inner struggle with that. See, I think there's a lot of times where the Holy Spirit convicts us and we have a decision to make. Are we going to stick with Jesus through thick and thin or are we going to deny that moment because it's too hard for us? Because what happens is then someone else calls him out and he denies Jesus again. And then someone else calls him out. And this time Peter swore. Yeah. Think about it. And I don't know if swore means like he cussed, said a swear word, or just said like an oath. But he said, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man. And immediately, the rooster crowed a second time. And when he heard the second rooster crow, then it hit him. Oh, Jesus said before it crows twice, I'm going to deny him three times. And I just did that. And he went away crying because he realized that first rooster crow was his opportunity to change his direction. But that second rooster crow was fulfillment of what Jesus said. And only he could have changed that by just following Jesus completely. And he didn't. So what Jesus said came to be. So the scene shifts to Jesus before Pilate, and he's going through scrutiny again. And the people are all giving him grief again and so Pilate says are you the king of the Jews and once again it's a question a direct question so Jesus says you have said it and so the people are all yelling and accusing him of all these things here's another one of those times I highlighted but Jesus said nothing and Pilate was surprised by this because you would think if he's being accused of all this and he didn't do any of that, he would want to speak up. And here's this is huge to me because so many times as Christian people, we need to take note of this because it's in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who persecute for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall see God. Why do we always think when we're persecuted, we got to stand on our rights? You know, I, I heard a guy, I don't know if I've said this before, but I heard a guy that was a pastor one time who said, I'm going to, I, I what happens if I get put in jail because I'm a rebel rouser and I don't want to follow what they say. 
And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, what if Jesus would have been a rebel rouser at the cross and didn't want to follow what they say and called 10,000 angels and would have said, I'm not doing this for you because I'm better than you people, you Roman people, you religious leaders and Pharisees, because I am who I am, and that's capital I am's. He could have, but instead he stood there and said nothing because he knew. He knew. You guys can do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to win in the end anyway. And we get so caught up in, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to, I don't care what they say. Man, what if we became more like Jesus? And said nothing. Wow. That's a good thought, I think. But anyway. Pilate has nothing to say. This doesn't go into this. Mark doesn't go into much about what Jesus and Pilate's interactions are. It just really gets straight to the point that Pilate uh, let him have Barabbas back and had Jesus uh turned over to the people and had him flogged and whipped with the lead-tipped whip. And then they take him behind closed doors and they strip him down, put him in a purple robe and mock him and beat on him some. And then they take him to Golgotha and they nail him to the cross. That's really highlighted. They nail him to the cross in 15 verse 24. And I highlighted the times because it was 9 o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. That's when they nailed him to the cross. But then at about noon, it was about noon, darkness fell on the whole land. Okay? So noon is significant because that's when Jesus is going through the, the, the hardest time of this thing, you know, and he is... Uh, about to give up his spirit, all right? And I just love this because at 3 o'clock, Jesus gives up his spirit, and he tells in a, in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And, and people are like, you mean God left his son? How could he abandon his son? God is abandoning what his son is carrying. He's carrying the sins of the world for you and me. He's abandoning that. There at the cross. We got to abandon it at the cross. We have to leave it. We have to let it go. We have to be done with it once and for all. And he abandons it there at the cross. And then he gives up his last breath. And he cries out with one more loud breath. And the curtain in the sanctuary, the veil is rent in two. And from that point on, folks, there is no need for a middleman. We don't have to go sit in some booth behind a curtain and give up our confession we don't have to go to a person in a conference room and confess we can go straight to our heavenly father and confess through jesus christ our lord that we need you in our life and we can do it in a street under a street light we can do it in a parking lot we can do it at a couch knelt at a couch sitting at a couch i mean i've done them in all those places and I confess under a street light on, on a street in the snow because I wanted the Lord in my life again because I knew I couldn't do it without him.
So then Jesus is buried on a Friday, right? And he's buried in a tomb that's never had anybody in it. And there's a private tomb of Joseph of Arimathea who took his body down. And then on Sunday, the Sabbath, the women go to, to, to you know, take care of his body. But they're like, how are we going to get the stone rolled away? But the stone was already rolled away. And they come in there and see the man's, the angel sitting there. He's not here. He's already risen. You know, go tell his disciples, including Peter. See, Mark emphasizes this, and I think this is huge because he's telling them, go tell his disciples, including Peter. Because remember, Peter's the one that said he never would, and then he did. And then he remembered how he fulfilled everything Jesus said to the point. So, he wants to emphasize Peter, this angel does, because he wants Peter to know that, yes, you're forgiven, and I want you to meet me at Galilee because Jesus is going to go there and meet you there. So she goes, these women go, they tell him, and they didn't really believe him at first, but... Jesus finally appears to all of them and rebukes them for their stubbornness. And then he gives them that great commission, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. That's pretty straightforward. That's even more straightforward than Matthew was. And if you believe, here's what's cool. When you become a follower of Jesus, you have the same power he does. And that's what Jesus gives them in the next few verses. You'll be able to cast out demons and you'll be able to speak in new languages. You have a prayer language. It doesn't mean you're going to speak tongues and do speak funny languages. It means you'll be able to speak in ways that people will understand the message. Because the Lord will help you be able to speak in a way that people can comprehend what you're telling them. And you'll be able to, you have the power to heal. If, and that's what you get when you have Jesus in your life. Now, do we have the gift? We have it. But the one thing we have to do is believe with, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and have no doubt, no hidden agenda, and no hidden factors, which I'm going to talk about later today. So have a great Sabbath. Our God reigns, and he is so good because Jesus Messiah, name above all names, he reigns. And he lives for all of us. Worship today with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And know how great it is to know that even while we were imperfectly walking around, he came to make us perfect in him. As perfect as we could be with the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in us. Because he gave it to us. Have a great Sabbath. We'll see you Monday. Jesus must